Hello, hello, listeners to The Third Way. One of the things that I find interesting is that we are in an era now where you get to choose your lifestyle. Now, that comes with some economic security to be able to do that. So if you're dealing with poverty or you're an immigrant or you're an exile, then that may not be true. But if you do have some economic security, you get to choose. And I think a lot of people forget that choice. I think systems that we live in rely on us to forget that choice and that we're just going to work in the machine and get spit out the other end at some point. Uh, so that's why I wanted to have my dear friend, Naomi Seifter on. Uh, so Na- Naomi is a, is, is probably most known, at least in Austin, uh, as the founder of Picnic, which is a, an amazing restaurant concept of organic food and uh, tasty meals and ethical sourcing and ethical employment practices. Um, but I've, I've come to know Naomi in other ways too, um, is as a as a thought leader in uh, mindful parenting um, on things like cooking and our topic today, which we're calling mindful living. So welcome, Naomi. Justin, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. I just loved your intro. <laughs> it's really, okay. really nice. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, you know, you're in the, you're kind of in this transition from, you know, from many years as an entrepreneur to, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what if it's from make like you said being a CEO to a homemaker. I don't know if that's the right word, but <laughs> no, it is sort of a modern homemaker though, in the sense that you're like your Instagram feed is full of like tips on cooking and parenting, and I think that you know I know that that my daughter-in-law Sarah is it, she relies a lot on other influencers on social media to learn you know learn you know parenting ideas and what how to raise your kids and all that that yeah those are all resources that you know we we didn't really have when you know my kids were little um so but one of the things i've always admired about you since i met you i don't know five years ago is you're very intentional you got oh, you have you. seem to have very little guile or the capacity for the production of bullshit yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> totally so i know i know that to you that these things that you're doing, this isn't some sort of just economic opportunity to go out and become an influencer in this area, that this is something deeply important to you, deeply intrinsic. And so before we get into the questions, I'm just curious about how long have you felt this way, felt this call to have mindful living? Is it a new practice? Is it something you felt your whole life? And, and where do you think it came from this call for mindful living? Was it, was it modeled to you or did something inspire you? So talk a little bit about how you got here before we get into the questions about mindful living. Sure. I love that. Okay. So actually, I don't know that this started for me until after I went away to college or that I had an awareness about it until I went to college. And I met a friend who recommended I go spend time at this place called the Shivananda Yoga Vedanta Center, which was a yoga ashram based in Quebec. And um, Quebec, however you say it (laughs) properly, (laughs) but I was living in Syracuse, New York. And I don't even know if I was sort of like a mindful or spiritual seeker or anything yet at that point, but I had seen a medium in college, just on a whim. And it was a super life changing experience. I walked into this woman's room and she told me 
everything about my family. She never could have known it. She like didn't even know my name. It was like talked all about my parents and my siblings and the path I was on and what I was pursuing and what my future may look like. And it was really mind blowing as somebody who sort of grew up in a more agnostic, maybe even atheist kind of household, you know, to walk into a position where somebody was sharing lots of kind of spiritual ideas or something that I couldn't really explain. So anyway, I sort of, my interest was peaked there. And then I told my friend about that experience and he recommended I go to this ashram. So I was 21 on my 21st birthday, rather than going to the bar, I drove straight to the ashram. I don't even remember how many hours it was, but I walked into this place knowing nothing about it, just on a whim. And it was such a powerful experience that I was walking around the grounds and I saw this statue of the founder of this ashram and I fell on my knees and started crying. I like couldn't even, (laughs) I couldn't even explain it. I'm like, what is going on here? This is really bizarre. But that sort of kickstarted me into um, a two month stay at this place where every day we woke up and we practiced meditation, pranayama, which is deep breathing exercises. Um, They would do something called satsang, which is sort of a a gathering where you do lots of uh, kirtan and chants and sort, you know, sort of a space for, you could call it meditation, you could call it prayer, you could call it kirtan, you could call it um, hymns. It just, you're right, it's sort of a, a similarity to any sort of spiritual or church experience. And we would do that twice a day. I would do deep yoga practices and deep, um, just deep uh, self-awareness work during that time. And that was, I think, the kickstart for me of sort of the mindful living mind body connection, but also digging deeper into food, how it makes us feel the energetics of food. And I think all of that, even though the food program at the ashram was very different than how I eat today, I think it was the catalyst that inspired my journey. Mm, That's, that's interesting. It's interesting that it came to you through kind of a spiritual door uh, too. Um, and we're going to touch on that in a minute, but um, yeah, I think that, you know, it's what brings up, what that brings up for me is just, again, the benefit in my case of growing up on a ranch and knowing yeah. where, food, where food and poop come from, <laughs> you know, like right, right. Seeing, seeing the circle of cycle of life, you know, from birth to death of animals, you know, and um. I, I wouldn't necessarily call that mindful living and, you know, uh, on, on my case. And that's, I think that's why I wanted to, to have you on because, you know, as a third way concept, there's, it seems like, you know, consumption on one end of the spectrum and like Spartan, um, you know, live like a monk on the other end. And right. you, you're teaching or you're, you're sharing with the world is that it's really a third way of doing it so that there's still enjoyment in life but it's done it at a much more intentional level. So, right. Um, right. And I mean, that makes me think a little bit about the ashram and like the food that we experience there. And I, I guess I want to elaborate a little bit more on that because please, it's yeah. kind, of a, kind of a collaboration between exactly what you're talking about. So in the ashram, we practice something called a sattvic diet or sattvic lifestyle. So everything was based around this idea of sort of nonviolence. So there was no meat, there was no eggs, but beyond that, we talked about the energetics of food and how certain foods make you feel a certain way and may inhibit your ability to meditate or do breathing exercises in a 
more productive way. So for example, we eliminated caffeine, we eliminated onions and garlics and hot peppers, because when you sit in meditation, those things are really stimulating to the mind, surprisingly. And you would never know that unless you went into a place of retreat and you had that experience and you eliminated them and you felt what that felt like. And then you reintegrate them back into your life. Right. So after living there for two months, I actually went and lived in this organization for a year and I traveled around India and I lived in upstate New York. And so I lived this very strict lifestyle for a year where I pretty much was fully vegan, maybe a little bit of dairy, but then also didn't have any of those stimulating foods. And so when I came back out, it was really eye-opening about what we consume, what we put in our body and a difference of the way it makes us feel. But talking about what you're talking about with living on, growing up on a ranch, my problem when I came out of that environment was I started dealing with a lot of health issues. And I felt like meat had to be a part of my life and physically felt like meat had to be a part of my life. I was just really struggling with a lot of physical ailments. And so that was mentally a very difficult thing for me integrating meat back into my life after it being so restricted for ethical reasons. And so I found that the way that I could allow myself to feel good about eating meat was through knowing where my meat came from or even harvesting my own animals. Like we went to this beautiful turkey harvest that are my friend's ranch, Rome ranch, because it was important to me that if I'm going to eat this bird for Thanksgiving, I want to be a part of the process, the the entire cycle of life that you're talking about. Or if I'm going to eat meat or if I'm going to eat uh, beef or bison or chicken or turkey or whatever it is that I just I know now that it's not just meat in a package. It was an animal and it did have a life. And what was that animal's life experience like? So it became more important to me. And that really became sort of the foundation when we did think about picnic was if I'm going to not be vegan, if I'm going to, if I'm going to be a conscious consumer of meat, it's important to me if I do have a restaurant or something someday that those things are taken into consideration. Hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Well, that leads to the first question here is that I think a lot of people um, are interested in mindful living. There's a general sense of, I think with a number of people um, that that it's cons- consumerism is its own God that is mm-hmm. way, way too worshiped and people want to be liberated from as much consumption as possible. Um, so what's a good starting point? If somebody's listening to this and they're like, yeah, I like this idea. I like this idea of being more intentional. Where would you have them start as far as like a, a new, a practice or a, a systemic change of, in their own lives? Yeah. Well, because the thing I talk about now so much is food and that's probably my biggest passion in the world, not only career-wise, but hobby-wise, I would say that a place somebody can start fostering a more mindful relationship with their own body is with what they put in their mouth. Um, And the reason being is we live in a culture now of such convenience that you can have anything readily available at your fingertips at all times. You can walk into any gas station, any convenience store, any restaurant or grocery store and have something already prepared for you, either from the freezer section or from the deli case, whatever it is. And you just pick it up. It looks good. You put it in your mouth. You don't think twice about it. But if you, I think food is such a great opportunity to really track back and think about 
How was this made? What are the ingredients that were actually used in this? How were these animals raised? What are the additives that were put in this to make it taste delicious? Was this made in a factory? Was this made in the lab? Was this made crafted by somebody's hands, right? There's, it's different, right? Like a bag of Lay's potato chips. Mm-hmm. You can, I don't remember what documentary I watched that talked about this, but it's like, it is crafted by food scientists for a particular pitch of crunch, right? Yeah. The, 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 the texture, the thinness, all of those things, it's supposed to, it almost manipulates us into eating it, right? Yeah. And so I think that there's a really, there should be a bigger awareness just collectively on the fact that we eat three meals a day and what we put in our mouth and how that can contribute positively or negatively to our state of health, our mental health, our physical health. I think that's a really good place to start. Um, and um, part of the reason why I encourage so many people, and if you look at my Instagram, everything is about practical home cooking. Why I really encourage people to cook when you don't have to. Right. I, I you know, cause I think beyond just the physicality of the benefits of cooking, I also think that it contributes so much to your life in terms of a valuable skill that you can take with you anywhere you go. And it could become an easily a lost art with the convenience of everything. So that would be a place that I would start. I would also say, um, in terms of mindfulness practices, giving yourself permission sometimes to slow down, Mm-hmm. is a really valuable practice, especially with where hustle culture sort of is and exists. One of my favorite books that I've ever had a privilege of listening to is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And it's written by a pastor named John Mark Comer. He's based out of Portland. And he talks about um, just how, you know, he was sort of this pastor at a big mega church and how he ended up stepping out of that role and prioritizing Sabbath and time and introspection and self-reflection, how benef- how beneficial that can be, right? Because mm. Sabbath, I think, is a practice that a lot of people know probably from Judaism, but there's a lot of uh, people in the Christian church, I think, who also resonate with the idea of Sabbath. But the idea of taking one day a week to just be with yeah. Yourself with God, whatever it is that you resonate with, right? Like your time to sort of separate from all the other necessities of life and just like do some other conscious practices. So I think slowing down can be a great thing. And then the last thing that I would say is that I think it's super important, even as adults, that we prioritize hobbies and creative mm-hmm. outlets that are not just part of the day-to-day responsibilities. So like for me, I really wanted to learn how to bake sourdough, for example. And it's like, I really threw myself into it and, and I wasn't making any money from it. And it wasn't really adding anything to my life besides just like giving me an outlet beyond all the other responsibilities in my life. But it brings so much joy to like throw yourself into something new and learn something new and fail a lot and develop mm-hmm. more skills. And so I just, I think that sort of prioritization of personal interests and hobbies and things that are fun for the spirit are also of such value. Yeah. Super help, super insightful. I, I think I wouldn't add much to that, actually. I think, uh, you know, because I, 
this is not something that I um, I'm consistent in, um, but I think a, a starting point is um, only buying things that are a story. Totally. You know, like, like I think of terms of like art, what we would call art, which is if, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, manufactured in a factory in China. It's made by, you know, that's why I like to buy stuff off of Etsy right? Um, and, you know, support artists and, and, and creators in general, because if you just, if you have the economic means to buy um original things from people and stuff that's with a story it's why i love certain antiques you know and um and it doesn't mean even that it has to be used like i i i some of the ikea stuff i have is a is a is a um that we have as kind of its own memory of a time of, of going to ikea and you know yeah. that it was sort of like a early relationship test to go to ikea you know yeah. because it's yeah. so it's overwhelming and, and so I think that's one, I think that's just like, look around you and see what do you have that you got hanging on your walls or stuck in boxes or sitting. That's just stuff that's, um, that you don't, um, that doesn't have a story. The second one, um, is a rule that I learned when, from Virginia, when we moved uh, into our, our, our first place together last, last July, which was the, the rule was that she's had over the years and she's moved many, many times is uh, if you don't, if you haven't used it in the last six months, get rid of it. If it doesn't, yeah. if you, if it can be, if there's a better version of it, get rid of it. And if you're only holding on to something for sentimental reasons, consider getting rid of it. Right. Right. And, and that's the one I have the most because I'm, I can be nostalgic and I have, I like talismans and reminders of totally. But I think there are, are things that we hold on to, you know, that we don't really, we think that they are sentimental, but it's not like we take them out and look at them every day, you know, there's right. some box somewhere. Um, so I, I, I think, I think if we, those are a couple of starting points. If you, if you take your list and my list, that's a pretty robust, mindful living practice that people can, and can implement. I, I would agree with all of those additions that you provided. I'm so sorry. <laughs> My dog is outside. Okay. But I would agree with all of those things that you contributed. And I'm so, would you like me to go set him inside? No, 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 it's fine. Okay. It's I'm so part sorry. Of the, part of the recording. Yeah. So, <laughs> part of the fun. so one of the things I think about when you mentioned things in the possession of things is my grandma and you asked about where sort of my awareness started. It does make me think a lot about my grandma, Ruthie, who's my, my grandma on my mom's side. She was a very avid collector and her house, we called it, I think grandma's magic house, something like that. Every square inch was covered with something that she had acquired from her journey. And they were all one of a kind heirloom, beautiful things that she would pick up on different trips or at different antique shops or at estate sales or whatever. So her house was just magical. It's like all of these things that just had intention, story, purpose. It wasn't like going to home goods and getting a yeah. 
Yes. But like you said, like a poster that you see in every other house, it was right. also unique and interesting and different and provides also so much to contribute to the environment that you live in. And I think to what you were talking about too, about getting rid of things that take up space, there is so much to be said for living in a space that is kept to or clean yeah. or organized and I shared a video this morning about the status of my kitchen when I woke up this morning and I was so embarrassed to share it, but it's real life. The truth is I love to go to bed with my kitchen spotless when I have the opportunity to do that because it makes me feel better when I wake up and I see fresh flowers on my counter and my countertops are wiped down and all my dishes are clean and everything is like nice and plus and ready for the day. But sometimes life, life happens and we have to be forgiving with ourselves too. And that's the same thing I would say about food possessions. Like you're talking about Ikea. You know, I like to allow myself the freedom also to be human and have, you know, and not be perfect about right. stuff, right? Because Kevin has always said, like, we live in a house, a home, not a house, or right. we don't live in a museum, right? There's certain yeah. things that just, it just is what it is when you have uh -huh. young kids and you try your best and it can either overwhelm you or you can just sort of tolerate when things aren't perfect, yes. right? I'm a little OCD, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> But, and I think also, though, that, you know, uh, uh, you know, the purity, it's hard to call it mindful living when the focus is on perfection, you know, right. so there's, there's, there's a, by its nature, kind of a, you know, this balance we have, think about this. I mean, we're, we, we, we have these souls and we're, we're so, we were, some of us are highly sensitive people and yeah, we have, many of us have open hearts and we live in a world that doesn't give a shit about any of those things. Mm -hmm. And so. Where if we need a little bit of Netflix once in a while and some and some ice cream to feel better about life, you know that's that's we're not talking about aesthetic life here or no, you know or or anything like that. I do want to though lean into this idea, and this is a heavier question, which is yeah, what do you think is the correlation between consciousness and cons and consumption or consciousness mm -hmm. and consumerism? Mm -hmm. How how do those relate? Well, I think consumption, I, I really believe this is more than just what we put in our mouth. I think it's, we talk about what we consume and a lot of people think about that as like breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but what we consume is also media. What we consume is also the news. It's the presence of other people. It's all of these things. And I think that there should be, I like to have awareness around that in my life. And so actually, like when I get to a place of feeling overwhelmed or something like that, I look at what are the things that I am consuming that maybe I can make some changes to. So for example, about a year and a half ago, my husband and I moved out to our homestead in Texas and I found myself not wanting to look at the news anymore because every time I looked at the news, I felt agitation. I felt fear. I felt anxiety. I felt overwhelmed. And I just realized I am consuming this news and it is like eating me alive. And I don't feel like I can walk through life without being totally afraid of everything. If I subject myself to this knowledge all the time, because I just, I felt like 
it puts so many imprints and ideas and concepts and fear and anxiety in my mind that it forced me to focus on all the things that are outside of my control. And there's, I already feel like everything's outside of my control. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not about us having control over life. It's about how we react to the circumstances that happen to us in life in in some way. So I dramatically reduce, I mean, I really say that I like stopped consuming the news. I mean, every once in a while I'll check in if something shows up like on an Instagram feed or something is really put, it's clear I need to know what's going on. But generally I think that consumption is so much more than just what we eat. And so it's the same idea that I was talking about with food of like really thinking consciously about all of those things in your life. Like if you spend time consuming, um, alcohol or pot or tobacco or substance, caffeine, whatever it is. I think a really big question I have is, do you have control over it or does it have control over you? Right. You know, and that's the way that I would consider making more mindful or conscious choices about anything in life that feels maybe out of balance is like taking a step back and thinking, do I have control over this or does this feel like it has control over me? Like if I was somebody who wanted to just sit there and like, if I ate chocolate every meal a day, you know, and, and I sat down at the end of the day, it was like, it feels like it has control over me. Right. right. So that would force me to sort of take a step back and think about how I could sort of get it under control for my own well-being in life. Right. Yeah, I I found myself too like certainly more mindful of what I consume, uh, both like mm-hmm. and food and entertainment, distraction. Um and what I've noticed is, is this correlation, this relationship between consciousness and consumption is really this is that the, lo- the lower your consciousness, the higher your consumption rate, because consumption is associated mm-hmm. with, the, with the ego. And the ego is a, mm-hmm. as, as Ryan Holiday says, uh, the ego's favorite number is more. And there's a certain, <laughs> totally. there's a certain dopamine hit that comes from consumption. You know, there's like, you talked about like the way things are designed, they're designed, you know, Facebook and Instagram are designed to be addictive, to, to be a dopamine, yes. a dopamine hit. It doesn't mean we shouldn't use them, but we should be aware of the brain chemistry that is happening to us, yes. um, especially related to dopamine, because you can't really get oxytocin from stuff or even right. from stuff. So I think then when you, if you have elevated consciousness, if you're up above the, as David Hawkins refers to it, the courage line in the map of consciousness, you then start to see things as having the courage to maybe uh go off the grid grow your right learn a new skill move to a place that gives you more freedom i mean all of that requires courage to do that um and i think that it's is is if our consciousness is lower we're down into the comparison and the control and we're in this thing of like how do we how do i guarantee the results of the future and the map the future and we keep consuming stuff and i remember uh, uh, talking with virginia about this like that we're the we're the only country on earth i think that has massive amounts of storage facilities yeah and, yeah and, and, totally and this is a 
this is a bold proclamation, but I don't believe that high conscious people have storage facilities. I don't like if you were to do a survey <laughs> of everybody that has one, you know, I, I mean, I had one temporarily because we were waiting to move into yeah. a house. But as far as this, like, the, there's TV shows about stuff left in storage that people have forgotten. You know, this is not, that's yeah. crazy to me that we do that. It, it also goes into sort of the disposable aspect of life too now. Um, but I think that there's just a, when your consciousness goes up, you start to also look at the impact. If you look at spiral dynamics of that movement from me, we, to everyone. Well, consumerism and consuming is by in, by its nature, quite selfish. And mm-hmm. if you're aware, if you, if your consciousness is growing and now it's beyond the me to the, we, which would be like your family or your community to everyone, which is humanity. You're like, Oh, well, maybe I don't need to buy things that were manufactured. This is one for me manufactured yeah. in uh, sweatshop factories in central and South America. I can yeah. do that research. I don't have to buy it from there. Um, I can do ethically sourced food as you talked yeah. about. Those are all things that are sort of like what I can do to contribute to the everyone. But I don't think you think about it if you haven't been doing the work. If you haven't been right. doing the work, I don't even think it crosses your mind. Right. Um, you know, you just do your thing. I got my Bud Light in the fridge. I got my, you know, whatever show on Netflix I'm watching. I got my, you know, Taco Bell I picked up on the way home. And I'm going to go to my job and do the same damn thing that tomorrow yeah. I need to feed this machine that we're in. Right. And I think that's why so many systems discourage consciousness. We have a consumer-based economy. Well, because, yeah, and because of it's their intention to get you to consume more, right? Exactly what you're saying. I mean, they do we have, do you have control over it? Does it have control over you, right? It's like the, all right. the convenience things like Amazon or Grubhub or Uber Eats. It makes life so easy to just order food in. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. We use those as great tools and things all the time. But to your point, it's really, um, it goes so, there's so many categories in which you can think about that. It's like, it's, it's the things that you have in your home. It's the story of the things. It's the story of the food. It's the, the, what's the intention behind the, media information like mm-hmm. is there is this somebody have an objective you know it's just there's this it's such an interesting thing when you start thinking about it and again tracking back and looking at things sort of from like it's yeah. almost like a 10,000 foot view mm-hmm. of like what is really happening here and right, right. you mentioned well two I want to say two things one thing came to mind when you're talking which is how I mentioned in sort of the mindfulness practices prioritizing creative outlets or doing passion projects or whatever. Someone said this phrase, I don't know where I heard this, but the quote was create more than you consume. And I love that because as you Mm -hmm. talk about consumerism and consumption, it's like, that is something that gets me out of the routine of just consuming and buying is like putting myself in a position where what can I, what, what am I going to create today? Whether it's a meal or whether it's, like I said, a loaf of sourdough bread, or I'm going to go out in the garden. I'm going to plant things. I'm creating something new and it fulfills maybe the same thing, to be honest, that a dopamine hit from Mm -hmm. loading your Amazon cart and like pressing buy fulfills. It's just like, it's some sort of accomplishment that makes you feel good. Even if it's a failure, even if it like doesn't go well, it's like, at least I tried, at least I learned something, at least there's some sort of takeaway or I, I built skills or I did this. And so, yeah, I, I just, 
I don't know. I really like that you brought up the things piece and the uh, materials and the storage units, because it just makes me think more and more about how like sometimes on my page, I'll talk about my cast iron skillets. I get them from this company called Smithy Ironware and I'm just obsessed with them. And I'm like, why, do I, why am I so obsessed with these pans? And I think about it and it's because like they're handcrafted, they're right. made here, they're heirloom quality. I can give them to my children when I die. You know, yeah. it's like maybe they can make memories with them. They look beautiful stored in my home. It's not like I go to the store and I just buy a skillet that, you know, I have to replace in six months because of the Teflon coating. It's right. like, I just love everything about it. Right. I like sharing the story. It's like, mm -hmm. so it's really, really genuine. And I think um, the more, the older I get and the more I realize that like space in real estate and in your home is at such a premium, the more I want to fill it with things that are really meaningful. Yes. Yes. And I think the more, um, you focus on living an authentic story, the more you are become aware of not being the master to anyone or anything like to mm -hmm. free yourself from like, I, okay, I want to do this. I'm choosing to do this, but you're doing it from a place of choice. And it's interesting as we buy art, we don't consume it. Yeah. We buy art and we create, we create, like you said, we, we, it's it's sort of artful living. It's like Julia Cameron stuff, you know, as far as just artful living is, is what am I going to do with the resources that I have been gifted? Um, mm -hmm. What am I going to make? And, and I just think that imagine that shift, imagine 5% more people thinking in terms of creating versus consuming. Yes. So I want to close with a, a kind of a, maybe a fun question here uh, is what, what is one modern indulgence, air quotes, you would struggle the most to live without? Now, let's take like electricity, car, yeah. let's take electricity, cars, and the internet off the table, because those are, those are really indulgences. So what's right, an indulgence right. that you have that you would struggle the most to live without? I think, and I don't know if you'd consider this a modern day indulgence, but for me, I think it's freedom. Like, freedom of space and like the fact that you can accomplish so much these days from anywhere uh -huh. and I like feeling a level of trust and autonomy and understanding that that is a direct result of like internet and it's a modern day privilege you know what I mean and like mm -hmm. That has been such a beautiful, it's not a hundred percent of my life, but it's like that feeling of being able to go on a trip with my family and still be totally connected and able to contribute and able to accomplish and able to be a productive member of society. Like, I love that it, mm -hmm. it has allowed, it has allowed freedom for us to craft a more intentional space at home, to be more present with family members, to um, experience and explore different areas outside of just where we thought maybe we need to, you know what I'm saying? There's like some flexibility in that, that I think I would really struggle with at this point in my life after 10 years of entrepreneurship. Yeah. And I've thought about that a lot because 
you know, six months ago, we, um, we sold our, the product side of our company and sort of opened up some time and space for me to think about new opportunities, which is when I started my social media. And I looked at what I might want to do. And I just think I'm an entrepreneur at heart. I just don't know. That's, I mean, I just want the ability to create things and execute visions that I believe in and that I love. And, you know, I looked at some, I'm like, should I spend some, should I look at some government jobs and great benefits? Or should I do this? Which I think is there's so much value in that, right? After you do entrepreneurship and it's like, you know, it's so, so ebb and flow all the time, but there is something I love so much about having autonomy and freedom. That would be really hard for me, I think, to kind of give up. Yeah. That's a really interesting answer. I didn't, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. <laughs> no. uh, and I don't mean that from like a political perspective, right? I mean, oh, something right. that you'll see if you ever follow my Instagram for anybody listening, I really don't talk about politics. I really right. want to keep the stuff that I share on there very sort of neutral and uplifting because I understand people have very different points of view right. on, on right. life. And, and maybe that's, um, I don't know maybe that's sheepish in some way for me to say that, but I just, I want a community of people who know that they are just coming to me and they get to experience something. That's my, you know, something that's not, um, pretty non-confrontational generally, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, but that whole, uh, yeah, when you say freedom, people have maybe different different ideas of what that means. But for me, it's really that we're in such a blessed time in modern day economy mm-hmm. to be able to have some time right. and space flexibility. Right. Yeah, you gotta purchase your own freedom. I mean, for sure. Yeah. I mean, whether literally or you know, with your decisions. Um, I think the, the indulgence that I would have the most struggle to give up would be books. Like, oh yeah. Books. I mean, I have like, I don't know, probably 70 books I've never read, but I keep buying books and I sometimes I'll buy a book and I don't need it, but it speaks to me. And so there's something about books that feel indulgent and sacred. Yes. There's almost a sensuality, you know, sensuality is indulgence and sacredness at the same time or decadence a little bit. Like, yeah, like, like a, you know, um, like some sort of delectable food. Um, I think the other one now would be like going out to eat. Yeah. Um, going out to eat. And one of the things, so Virginia and I've been together for two and a half years. We've never been to the same place in Austin twice on a Ooh. date night. We've, we've, we've been to several restaurants twice on it, on, um, on it, on, you know, non-date nights. And we've been to different locations so we've yeah. been to both both locations of picnic oh, uh, both, no. you know and and that and, uh, and and um and so um that that whole thing of it is indulgent like okay we're going to plan a meal then we're you know we're going to plan the evening around the meal so it's like where we it's not like the thing is a concert we're going to and then we're going to figure out what to eat it's like no the food the ritual of the food of, of choosing the restaurant and seeing what's on the menu and then like having an amazing experience um, or having a disappointing experience. We found a, a little place off an airport in Austin called Vamanos. It's the oh, best, cool. best Mexican food, Tex-Mex food I've ever eaten here. And yeah. there's like, lots to choose from. Um, and that, that sense of discovery and stuff. And to me, there's an intentionality in that. 
It's like, it's yes. never, it's never the cheesecake factory or PF Chang's or God for God's sakes, Chili's. It's always yeah. a local restaurant, but I love doing it. And it would be yeah. hard for me to give that up. Yeah. Um, but I think so you just hit on something yeah. too, with that, the sort of the mindful point about even restaurants, like that's something Kevin and I have talked a lot about my husband, because especially now with how expensive it is to just live, but even the restaurant industry, right? We have found that part of the reason why we prioritize cooking so much at home is because we'd rather save up and go and have an experience at a yes, restaurant. We right. really want to enjoy to your point. It's like someplace that shares some story or uses the ingredients we like to eat or has some sort of nice ambiance or is a special date night where someone's watching our kids, you know, the, mm -hmm. that is the way that we think about it. So it's like, we'd rather eat out less. It's kind of like the same idea of like having less things, sort of minimalism. It's like, we'd rather eat out less and have it provide more for us than we would eat out more and have it be cheaper, faster, more can right. All those things that we're talking about. Right. So it bleeds into sort of every decision in your life. I feel like. Yes. I mean, it is the topic is mindful living and that's just a yeah. series of like how much this is the challenge I would have to people listening. How, how much of what you're doing did you choose or was it chosen for you? Right. And it could be your beliefs. It could be your habits and practices and behaviors, your, what you buy, what you eat, what you watch, whatever. Um, who chose that? And the more you are choosing, the more mindful you are. They, they go together. Yeah. So. Well, my friend, Can I say one this last was, thing. Of course. Yeah, of course. So I think it was, it was a few years ago where I really sat back and I was, I don't remember, I was talking to a friend about something, their work situation, and they were just unhappy with what was going on. And it made me realize, you know, exactly what you're talking about, this idea of what have you chosen for your life? Like we have 24 hours in a day and everybody has the same amount of time. And time is like the most precious resource ever. But it's, we not only have 24 hours in a day, but eight of that really, if you're lucky, is spent sleeping. So then you've got the remaining time of the day to prioritize an income generating opportunity for your family if that's necessary and your own personal interests. And when you really think about it, I mean, granted, the math isn't quite correct because I say it's like a third of your life you spend working, but it can be if you're ever in overtime or whatever to pay an entrepreneur. But when you really think about it, sort of a is eight hours a day, if you're lucky, is sort of your, your work obligation. It should be really something that you love and that lights you up and brings you joy that you choose, yeah. especially as you're saying, you know, you can get into a routine of just getting up and doing the same old thing and being right. miserable in what you're doing, but continuing to do it because it provides a paycheck that has power over you. And to your right. point, I really believe in our ability to make choices for our life also, and to trust that if we're doing things that are in alignment with our own self-interest, that positive outcomes will come from that. Right. And to not be fearful about that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Well, this was great. Thank you. Super fun. I loved it. I, I always love your, love your energy. Um, you too. And, and uh, I, I'm grateful for you. And me too. It's such a blessing, Justin. Thank you so much.